Welcome, friends and fellow horse fiends. You've landed on Come Ride With Me, a podcast dedicated to helping you find harmony, joy, and success in your riding. I'm your host, Anna Fox of Equus Enlightened. This pod isn't about training your horse, but about training you to be the best partner for your horse. Listen to find out how I use my intention to direct my ride. You'll hear how I decide what to focus on, what to say yes to, and when to redirect my horse. You'll see how not getting frustrated or overwhelmed is the easiest path to sanity and harmony. So what are you waiting for? Come ride with me. Hey there, horse fiends. Sorry, I've been on a little bit of a hiatus. Life just got crazy. And so I thought maybe I should dedicate this episode to the wonderful Dr. Sarah who is a time management expert and was part of a business mastermind class that I did with Karen Rolf because Dr. Sarah, I realized that my planning, my pre-planning and my post-planning for actually having to record a podcast when life got crazy was not good enough. One of the things Dr. Sarah taught us was that we should plan for events like plan to prepare for them, plan for the actual time of the event, then plan for the cleanup or whatever comes after. And I simply did not do that. So I'm sorry. And my planning will get better in the future. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this episode. I will link Dr. Sarah's website and her True Focus Coaching, which is fabulous, in the show notes. So if you're interested in some time management skills, you can go check it out. And I'm not doing a writing episode this week because I'm just behind. I spent uh, last weekend out of town with the family at the Army-Navy football game. And before that, the kids were sick. So it's been a crazy couple weeks, but I am going to get back on track. This is going to be the bonus episode to the last writing episode, which was Playful Transitions and the Yo-Yo Game. So if you haven't listened to that yet, you might want to go back and do it so you have some idea of what I'm talking about as we go through this episode. The Playful Transitions episode is also available on YouTube to actually watch the video of me writing while I was doing it. I will put that link in the show notes for you. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge all of the amazing horsemen that have paved the way before me. And when I talk about these concepts, games, techniques, I did not invent them, right? Most of them I've learned from someone along the way, and I've adapted them to work best for me and the horse I'm with in the moment. You'll frequently hear me refer to Karen Rolf's teachings. Karen is one of my favorite teachers and she's a wonderful mentor. Her program, Dressage Naturally, has its own video classroom where you can learn all about these concepts that you'll hear me refer to. You'll see Karen riding her own horses. You'll see her teaching students. It has everything from groundwork to Piaf Passage. I have a study group that allows you access to the classroom, plus you get in the study group with other like-minded people, and we can talk about the concepts there. 
If you're interested, I will put the link to that in the show notes. And I'll also link Karen's classroom directly because she does a free one week trial of her classroom. You'll also hear me talk about some of the Pirelli games because I think they are very useful. And I've got lots of quotes from the amazing Major Jeremy Beale. One of my favorite new teachers is Kim Hallen, who's the author of a book called Horse Wisdom. If you haven't read that book yet, you should. It talks about, yes, horse wisdom, but it talks about it in the perspective of the human existence and what we could learn from horses. It's a quick read. It's a great little book. Kim also has a YouTube channel and her own website. So if you hear something and you're wondering more about it, just look her up. She's amazing. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel, but I'm giving you my perspective on all of these people's ideas while throwing in some of my own. And I remember many times hearing something from one teacher that I knew I had heard from another. But that one time, it finally clicked. Like I heard it and I was like, oh, that's what Major Beale's been trying to tell me all these years. Sometimes we just need to hear things in a different way. Or we just need to be in a place where we're ready to hear it and understand it. And there's a famous Buddhist quote that says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I think that's very true. And I've had great horse and human teachers throughout my horsemanship journey. And they all deserve credit for molding me into the horseman I am today. So I'm happy to be able to share their wisdom with you, even as I still learn. A few weekends ago, I was lucky enough to be able to attend an equine functional anatomy course taught by Jillian Crimebring, another new amazing teacher that I found. If you're not familiar with her work, you should definitely look her up too. And I would recommend this introductory anatomy course for anyone who rides. Every rider should take this course. And certainly anyone who is thinking of purchasing a horse. She really goes into what you want to look for in a riding horse. It's fabulous. The course was very validating for me in terms of the best way to work and ride a horse. You know, horses were not built for riding. We're not meant to be riding them. They graciously allow us to do that. So I always enjoy learning more about equine anatomy because I'm not as familiar with the muscles, tendons, and ligaments of the horse as I am with the human. As I studied that in college. So that to me is almost like second nature now. Whereas talking about the horse internal structures is not so much. So it was a great broadening of my horizons in that respect. She also talked about one of my favorite concepts, which is not holding. Why? Because it creates tension. And horses nor humans were built to hold our muscles in any one place for any length of time. So if you're holding a horse in a position, you're creating tension. You're creating tension in the horse. You're creating tension in yourself. And the base of the training pyramid, the training scale, is relaxation. And you can't have that when you're holding tension. 
So this is one of the really important parts of the playful transitions exercise. You're asking the horse to change the length of their body and the length of their strides, but you aren't holding them into any position with your reins. In fact, the more you can teach your horse to do these transitions off of body language and even your intention, the better and easier the transitions will become. And if you're a competitive dressage rider, the higher your scores are going to get. One of the common issues when you start working these transitions is for the horse to lose his forward thinking. Yes, this is basically a loss of impulsion, but I find that people will usually mistake that term or the phrase more forward by going too fast and pushing the horse past the horse's comfort zone and out of their point of balance. So instead, I like to use the idea of the horse thinking that they can still go forward and the idea of potential energy because that's really what you're looking for with impulsion and a freely forward horse is that they have the potential to do the next thing. So in the beginning, when you are most likely to still be using your reins for help, it's very easy to lose that forward thought from your horse. As my German coach would always say, don't worry, don't worry. You can simply allow the horse to stretch out again to the point where they do feel comfortable and think forward. You can also slow it down for a moment and show the horse what you want, give them the opportunity to feel it out in that slower space, and then ask them to stretch again. This helps the horse to mentally process what you are asking and keeps them from building tension and trying to hold a position. Remember, relaxation is the key to everything. And we want the horses to make these movement patterns part of their natural way of going, not simply something that we are holding them into. Another thing that Jillian talked about during the functional anatomy course was how people think that if they have their horses pole up or the horses pole high, that they must be in correct collection. But for this to actually be the case, the pole must be the highest point of the horse and lifted pointing towards the sky. So if the horse's head is parallel to the sky, the pole is not the highest point their forehead's going to be the highest point and it's also going to be pointed towards the sky you don't see that a lot in the dressage world you do see it more in like the saddle seat world a horse who has his neck high but his head pulled in with the chin sort of pointing towards the chest is also not pole high the pole will be pointing more downward at an angle rather than thinking straight up and another thing my my german coach used to always say was pretend there's a bell um uh, 
a string from your belly button up to the sky. And also think of the horse as a puppet, like a marionette, where there's a string at the pole and a string at the wither, and it's lifting the horse up, up to the sky with your belly button. And that's creating this nice arc, which we'll talk about in a little bit because Jillian talked about that and how arcs are strong and angles are weak. So if the horse's head is pulled down and you have that angle from the pole into the ground, that's a weakness. We want to think about that posture that your horse will naturally get when you see them sort of playing out in the field, doing their passage trot or their nice collected canter when they're playing with their friends. Like they get archy and that's, that's a position of strength. And I'm sure that we all learned about that in geometry, right? That arcs are strong, angles are weak. Imagine a bridge that was full of angles not only would it not be very strong, but it wouldn't be very easy to drive over. You want your horse to feel like a beautifully arched bridge or something we commonly see, right, is the bed of an empty flatbed 18-wheeler, right, that hauls something heavy and it's got that nice arch to it. That's how you want to think about your horse's back as you're riding and as they're working. So as you're building your horse's strength, it's important to work within their full range of motion. So in that most stretched out posture, all the way to that most collected posture. And obviously the most collected posture will come as time goes on and as they learn more and they build strength but you can start to work a little bit like you know one step here they do it out in the field but they could do it for a moment with you on their back as well and then we let it out again and this is how we start to build strength i talked about that in the last episode and I made reference to how I learned the importance of this type of exercise in my studies about human strength and conditioning in college. We really want to make sure that the whole length of the muscle is strong, not just the very middle, and certainly not one end or the other because then things aren't balanced. So as you work these transitions and this yo-yo exercise, you want to pay attention to where in the exercise your horse struggles. Notice, is it when you start the transition at the end as you're coming out of the transition or maybe in the middle, like they get into it. Okay. But then it's like, ah, I can't. And then, you know, they fall out of it or something like that. So where is the place where the horse has the bobble and goes, ah, I don't know if I can do this. Be conscious to work on the edges of those difficult parts. Rather than just blowing through them or always working 
in the difficult place. Because if you're really struggling, if the horse is really struggling with it, pounding them in that space is not going to help them learn. They're going to get tired quickly and then they're not going to be able to learn. Their muscles aren't going to get stronger. They're going to be doing a whole lot of compensations. So as you're working it, when you think, oh, I felt a bobble there, let me half halt and kick my horse on. Instead, notice, oh, if I make this, this half halt, does it rebalance my horse? Does it re-relax my horse? So they can come out the other side of the half halt even better? Or has it caused them, the horse, or you to now be holding something? Because if you're holding the position for fear of losing it, then that takes us back to the episode about fear-based thinking. Know that you will lose a position. You're always going to lose the position. This is a dynamic thing. Horses are moving, we're moving, but we need to make it a game to see how quickly we can recover that position. When runners are racing, sometimes they lose their footing. Sometimes they have a bobble. They don't hold themselves in the perfect position for the entirety of their race because it would slow them down. So they run and when something happens, when a bobble happens, they fix it and get back into their stride. That's how riding a horse should be and not holding because again, holding creates tension. Think of it like this. You want to love a position so much that when you lose it, you're in a hurry to get it back instead of fearing what will happen when you lose the position. When you find yourself needing to hold a position or that your horse just can't rebalance from the half halt, go back. Find the place where the bobble happened. Stop. Now go back again. And before the bobble happens, this might take you a couple times. It may take you a few times to actually find out and feel when is it going to happen, right? So play with it. And then when you figure out when the bobble is going to happen, give your horse a release, right? That release could be letting them stretch down. It could be slowing them down. It could be both. Again, play with it. And then pick the horse up and go again. Promptly, but not abruptly. Right? So it's kind of like, oopsie. This is what I would like to see at the trot. Now we're walking. Okay, let's go back to the trot and try it again rather than holding the position and fearing losing it. And while you're playing within this range of motion, notice that when your horse gets stronger, they can go a step further. Don't ask them to go 10 steps further. 
notice that one step and then go, oh, let's regroup and go back to it. The other idea is to start from the other end of your arc, the other end of the spectrum. So if you were, say, in a stretchy trot and you're trying to come up into a more collected trot, you could start from the walk and work backwards. It's kind of like a negative rep. If you're a weightlifter, you know what a negative is, where instead of bringing the weight up in its normal strength building posture, you actually control the weight as you let it back down. So with Namaste in the, in the last episode, it's up on YouTube, so you can go ahead and check that one out on YouTube. Um, I can get him into a higher degree of collection at the walk and then ask him to trot while he's in that space. But I know that he can't hold it for long in the trot. So before he bobbles, before he comes against me, before he loses the connection because he can't physically maintain it, I allow him to stretch down into a more working trot or I come back to the walk and maintain my collection. And I may come back to the walk maintaining the collection and then allow him to stretch as a reward for playing with me there. Either idea is fine. You could come back into a little collected walk and then a few steps of collected trot and come back and sort of yo-yo that back and forth for a little bit before you give them a break, depending on what stage of training and playing with this you're in. Don't be afraid to play around and see what works better for your horse. But sometimes... Play with both ideas just to sort of test out where you are and see if you can notice what is happening. Is your horse getting stronger? Another exercise you can think about when you're working within the full range of motion is working your circles from the outside in and the inside out. And this goes beyond just spiral in and spiral out. You'll see in... If you watch the video of the Playful Transitions episode, which is up on YouTube, and I will link it in the show notes, I use the smaller circle and a little more collected posture to get a canter transition, and then I allow Namaste to make the circle bigger, get longer in his posture, because I know that he can't hold that collected posture very long. I can also do the same thing where I start on a bigger circle, I spiral it in until he can't, or until it's hard for him, right? Until I feel like it's hard for him. And then I have the option, I have many options, but I could spiral out, making the circle bigger, making his frame longer again, or I could come in and make like a really beautiful transition to walk right in there. And then try to make a canter transition from that more collected walk 
and then again allow my circle to go out. So that's sort of an advancement of spiral in, spiral out. That's a great way to work within the full range of motion. This can also be a fantastic way to teach a horse to stretch at the walk and then the other gates if they've not been taught to stretch before. They've not been taught to find what Karen would call that sweet spot. They've always sort of had their head held down. Then you can use this negative approach to teach them how to stretch. If they're used to the contact and being held, start there and then play around with the horse's posture until you feel them want to relax. And when you have that feeling, allow them to stretch a bit. Throw them away, let them stretch as far as they will. And then when they bobble, they come out of that stretch again because they're not comfortable there. You go back to it and you ask again. Again, promptly, but not abruptly. There's not a punishment for them not being able to hold I shouldn't say hold, right? There's not a punishment for them not being able to maintain that posture because they've not been taught it before. It's just an oopsie. Can we get back to it? Usually a few steps of haunches out is effective here in helping the horse want to relax. Uh, you could think of it like a little bit of a hindquarter yield. But again, every horse is different. They're different on both sides. So play around with it and experiment. Don't be afraid to play. I love teaching this idea from the ground first so that riders can see it in action. They can see when their horse rounds their back, creates that little bit of an arc, and wants to stretch down. And then when they're on, they can feel it better because their eyes have already seen it. Their brain knows a little more about what it's supposed to feel like. One of the tricks to riding and being able to have these feelings and make these observations and have conversations with your horse is again, holding leads to tension. So if you are holding the reins and somewhat balancing off of the reins, it is going to make it more difficult. And this is really common for riders to do unconsciously because we're human. We like to grab things, especially when we feel uncomfortable. We feel like we're going to lose our balance. We feel like we need to save our life. The first thing we're going to do is grab something. Imagine the times that you've fallen or when you're riding in a car and you think another car is going to pull out in front of you. The first thing people normally do, put a hand out, right? We always want to grab, grab, grab. So our brain creates these movement patterns around saving our lives, right? And we all know that riding a horse can sometimes be dangerous. Something could happen. So sometimes these movement patterns are established in us when we first learn to ride and they're not conscious. If somebody hasn't taken the time to really teach us our balance, really get into the rider biomechanics, really get you comfortable 
with your center of balance and how you can maintain that while sitting on a moving horse. It's very easy to get into a movement pattern that has you holding the reins or grabbing the reins at certain points. And that's just going to interfere with what the horse is doing. One, because it's another form of communication, but also depending on the pressure or the abruptness with which it's applied or whatever, the mouth is an emotional place for a horse. That's a very sensitive area. So you're creating an emotional response every time you use the rein, which is going to at least in some way override the physical things that you're trying to do with your horse. And then sometimes these movement patterns that we've developed will change because we'll have a fall or a bad spook and our brain will change the movement pattern. Oh, we have to do this because that's what saved our life. Thank your brain for doing this because it's what saves your life on a daily basis. However, it can be problematic when you're riding and you just need to be aware of it and really focus on your own balance. And that's why doing these exercises where you're letting the reins out and then you're having to bring the reins back and you're going back and forth is teaching a rider as much about their own balance as it's teaching a horse about their balance. As a rider, if you are holding the reins, holding with your legs, holding tension anywhere in your body, it is going to lessen your opportunity to feel. So again, really important to think about and be aware of your movement patterns. One of the most common ones is what one of my teachers used to call skiing off the right rein. Most humans are right-handed. They use the right rein as a balancing rein, and then they sort of turn the hip, collapse the rib cage on the right side. That is just a movement pattern that your brain has designed and has said, oh, this is going to save my life. In an emergency, this is going to save my life. Interestingly, I had a student who we've been going through some of this stuff and she has a horse that will occasionally spook and she's had some falls and, and is a little uncomfortable in certain situations. A few weeks ago, she had a spook like that. And, you know, she, she really had this way of feeling about it. Like, this is what I need to do. I need to, you know, ride this certain way. And as we started working through her lesson, she started to realize, oh, wait, when the spook happened, my body did this thing and I almost came off to the other side. And then it became clear to her that, oh, this thing where hiking my right leg up and collapsing my right side and pulling the right rein, she was able through what we've been doing to notice 
that that happened. So now her goal is to be more in the middle and to shed that movement pattern so that when the horse spooks again, she's relaxed and she's prepared to follow the middle of the horse and not scrunch up that right side and possibly go flying off to the left. She, as well as many other people who ride, do this all the time a little bit when they're riding. It just becomes more pronounced in an emergency situation like that. I hope that example helps you. I believe that one of the keys to being a really good rider and a good partner for your horse is to be a perfectionist about the very basic things. A lot of times as riders, we want to skip forward to the fancy things, to the things we think are cool to the next level. But being a perfectionist and being very particular about the basics will help you more in the long run. Just like during the Playful Transitions episode, when I attempted to make a walk canner transition, but Namaste was unable to do it, I could have let that go and gone on with the point that I was trying to explain in that moment for the podcast. But it is more important for me to show him what I really wanted in that transition. Even if that means taking a step back, it will get you further in the long run. I hope these podcasts help you. I really want riders to start to enjoy riding, starting to enjoy doing dressage. I see a lot of people at competitions that are working way too hard. They aren't happy. Their horses aren't happy. I just want people to see that we can do it in an easier way. We can do it easier. We can make it better for humans and for horses. I hope that you will reach out to me if you have any questions or if you have any comments, suggestions on things that you want to hear about. I love your feedback. Happy riding. And I'll talk to you next time. My goal is to demonstrate to riders that we don't have to do something every second of a ride. We don't have to do things a certain way or at a certain time. Just staying present with your horse and gathering non-judgmental information about how they are going is way more beneficial than overthinking and overworking. If you'd like to learn more about what I do at Equus Enlightened, you can find me at equusenlightened.net or on patreon.com slash equusenlightened. You can also find me on social media as equusenlightened. I will put all the links in the show notes. And until next time, happy riding. Oh, before you go, please remember to rate, review, and share this pod so others can find it.